John chapter 10, one of the truly great chapters of the Bible. We're going to be here a little bit. I mean, they're all great chapters. This one's rich. John chapters 10, starting in verse 1. This is the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would speak and we would hear. We thank you that we have your revelation, which is designed to reveal, to show. Help us to see and to believe, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Certainly there are all kinds of evils attached to the internet. I mean, the evil you can gain access to now is, would be genuinely shocking if we knew the extent of it. But periodically you stumble on positive uses, even though it's still reshaping your brain, I guess, and how you use it. One of those happened to me this week as I'm on social media and providentially connecting to the sermon, I follow a number of shepherds from the United Kingdom. And this week is lambing week and lambing season in, in the high hills of Yorkshire in England. So the further north you go, the further altitude you go, the, the kind of later spring hits. They had a six inches of snow, I guess, about a week ago. Not my idea of spring, but okay. And this week is uh, really the first wave of lambing, of when uh, the mother sheep give birth. And I opened up my social media account just in time to live view their five-year-old son delivering a baby lamb. He's, this is his second, third year doing this, I think, actually. Now, I, I have to make a true confession. I am a suburban boy. I was raised in the suburbs, pretty much spent my entire life in the suburbs, and I've done my fair share of camping and outdoorsy stuff, but delivering animals not really kind of part of my repertoire of experiences. Certainly not comfortable enough to have, you know, the five-year-old out there pulling the lamb by the legs and the head and then watching mom clean off the lamb by licking it and not heaving everywhere and all of the rest of it. You see, I have very little experience with sheep and with shepherds. I've only been really close to sheep a handful of times in my life. Most of the time, they're petting zoo sheep, which aren't really sheep. It's the same way that, you know, horses that you ride in the horse trail aren't the same as real horses. Only a handful of times been around sheep. And so an analogy, a figure of speech, an allegory like John chapter 10 is not one that kind of naturally resonates with me. I'm not, you know, oh, I know sheep listening to the the master's voice. Oh, I know how all of these things kind of naturally work. 
And I assume that for many of you, this experience is very similar. Most of us, I'm assuming, don't spend lengthy periods of time around sheep. That's just not part of our modern lives. Most of the, even more, I guess, when we do spend time around animals like that, we don't spend time around animals that learn our voice over the long tenure of their life. Social media has been a a refreshing change in this regard as I've gotten to watch a a couple of farms. I've been following them now for a couple of years and to watch the life cycle of the farm and to read their books as they're publishing. You can read James Rebanks now and Amanda Owen and others from England that are writing kind of the, the life of the modern shepherd. And interestingly, it's the same way that they lived it hundreds of years ago. One of my favorites lives on the same land that his family has owned for hundreds of years, breeding the same sheep that his family has bred for hundreds of years. And it's fun reading because it kind of puts flavor and color and understanding to passages like this. What do we do with sheep And a shepherd, how do we understand a passage? And John chapter 10 is a significant chapter in the Bible because it really is a break from context in chapter 9. Jesus has been speaking really with the Pharisees and the Jews about his authority. He is from heaven. He is the one who is entitled to speak. He is the one who is from God and is God. But now his tone kind of changes, the location kind of changes. There's a clear break. And now, not addressing, hey, I am from heaven, you need to understand I am from heaven. He now begins to explain why that's a big deal. Why does it matter that Jesus came from heaven? Does that impact his life and or my life? What, what is the consequence of having a Savior from heaven. And he begins with, uh, as it says in verse 6, a figure of speech, an extended allegory, an analogy to help us understand, well, really help them understand and us thereby as well, what he means. And so he starts out, truly, truly, this is kind of catchphrase, hey, listen up, I'm going to say something to you. It's obviously true. You can take it to the bank. I'm going to teach you something and listen. And as he does that, he kind of dives in initially to set up the stage for a relationship with God and his people. The sheep-shepherd relationship is the illustration he uses, but that's interestingly not ultimately where he starts. It's interesting that when he goes to, to teach them about God's shepherdly relationship with his people, when he goes to kind of highlight the aspects of the 23rd Psalm, he does not begin with God being our shepherd. That's an assumption that he has. But he begins the story with multiple shepherds. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He begins with this idea of kind of multiple shepherds. There's a good shepherd, there's a real shepherd, and then there are all of these other people around the sheep. And he uses an illustration that would have been common to them of the sheepfold. Now, for most of us, I'm, okay, thanks. That's, <laughs> I don't know what a sheepfold looks like. A sheepfold would have been... Uh, 
sometimes a cave, not being referenced here a cave, though sometimes a cave. Uh, here they would build you know, an enclosure, circular, square, doesn't matter. They would build walls around and fairly high walls so that critters can't go over the side. Right? You don't want your predators to be able to jump over and then to attack you know, your sheep and to uh, be able to kill them and, and such. Uh, and then it would have a gate at the front. And the gate would be manned by either the shepherd or a gatekeeper. And when you brought your animals in from off of the hills you know, where they've been out to pasture, so to speak, you can bring them in and you can put them into the sheepfold. And the gatekeeper would watch it, and you'd kind of sleep on the far side so you can kind of survey to make sure that no one gets in or out. And there would be multiple shepherds that would use this all at the same time. So this is kind of the mental picture that you need to get. And you can actually you know, kind of even put this into England or Scotland if you want to because they still exist today. They still do this. You've got the giant wall. It's probably fairly tall stone with a gate in the front and a whole mess of sheep, some of your sheep, some of my sheep, some of other sheep, all in there together with a gate that's closed and a gatekeeper in the front. That's the illustration that starts out. And Jesus says, okay, so now in order to understand the relationship between God and his people, or this element of the relationship between God and his people, now that you've got the portrait of the sheepfold in your mind, you need to understand from the very beginning that there was a conflict over the sheep. Not everything is coming up daisies, so to speak. It's not all happy times. It's not all, yay, look, it's fluffy, cute little lambs. I've been watching lamb videos all week as they play around on the pens or stand on their mother's heads. Those are my favorites. It's hilarious. Mom's just kind of there resting and the lamb is standing right here. Funny things, I guess kids today do the same thing in a slightly different way. Moms tolerate it just as graciously. <laughs> but now that you've got it framed out and this, you know, you understand the sheep and you understand the fold, there's a situation taking place where in the middle of the night, when everyone's gone to bed, someone in the dark is creeping around to the back of the sheepfold, they're hopping the fence, and they're chucking lambs over the side, or sheep over the side, they're hopping over, picking them up on their shoulder, and running off with them. That's right. It's not a good situation, though. Because if you want your lambs, and you want your lambs to be safe, you don't want the robber to come in and take them. The other thing that you would kind of assume, too, is if a robber's coming in to take them in that kind of fashion, uh, what's the life expectancy of a stolen sheep? Probably not real high. You don't keep stolen sheep to breed stolen sheep because stolen sheep can be found. You keep stolen sheep for food. So you eat it and it's gone. So the evidence disappears because you ate it and it was good. Delicious. So these robbers would be creeping into the flock to take the sheep for their destruction and Jesus even before introducing the kind of the quality of the relationship between the people of God and their savior he's saying look you need to be aware before any of this before you even get any further you need to understand that this is not one of those situations where all things are equal you know we say that all things are equal I would prefer a over b if all things are equal I'd rather have pizza than a hamburger no this is not one of those situations. This is not the type of thing where you have one shepherd over here and another shepherd over here and another shepherd over here and this robber over here, and they're all fine. They're all good. They're all okay. 
In fact, actually, I think he's probably setting it up perfectly for today where you look around our culture today, and if you want to kind of think again metaphorically, what are the solutions that people have for their meaning of life, their ethical choices, what type of morality they're going to have for their personal identity, for their religion, and all things kind of... Our culture kind of in essence says all things being equal, it doesn't really matter. I mean, think think about it. Really, that's the answer we give is it's not said that crassly. It said as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else, you can believe whatever you want to believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. Just believe it hard, believe it well, and believe it strongly, and just make sure it doesn't hurt anyone. And Jesus is addressing that from the beginning to say, look, no, you need to understand when you think about this, the shepherd and sheep relationship is there's a reason why they need a shepherd. It's because their life expectancy without a shepherd is very short. Sheep are not particularly ferocious creatures. I mean, they do have teeth, but they're ugly, nasty things. They're not particularly ferocious. They don't have great ability to defend themselves. They're not particularly clever The shepherd is there for their safety because you see, from the very beginning, the sheep are in danger. In danger of theft, in danger of predators, in danger in many ways. But Jesus just uses that to kind of say, all right, realize that there are all kinds of things out there, all kinds of answers, all kinds of ones pretending to be saviors, all kinds of ones pretending to be your helpers, pretending to be your answers. But even in the midst of this multitude, this myriad of answers, there's only one real one. In the midst of Science and psychology and patriotism and materialism and consumerism and sexuality and all kinds of different, in the midst of all of the variety of sources we can find answers and help from, there is only one good Savior. Only one good shepherd, only one Christ. And then he continues in to the the kind of meat of this portion of the story where he tells them what type of shepherd he is. Three distinct characteristics to this type of shepherd. Three distinct kind of aspects to the relationship between this shepherd and his sheep. Verse 2 But he who enters by the door is the real shepherd. To him the gatekeeper opens the door. And that's going to be the first element here that we're going to see about the, the good shepherd. He has the authority to be the shepherd. He has the authority to take care of the sheep. Why? Well, they belong to him. They're his possession. He's been charged to take care of them. He is allowed to do that. It's interesting watching, again, kind of social media, tracking the shepherds of, around the world and seeing kind of the neat different things that they do and the way that they do it. There's largely two categories of shepherds. There are shepherds that own the sheep that they care for, and then there are hired hands. One of the farms that I follow right now has two hired hands on them, and they have a a lady from France and a gentleman, I forget where he's from, he's in another part of the world, and none of them speak the same language. 
And so it's hysterical watching the three of them try to take care of their lambs and their sheep and everything together and give antibiotic doses and treat you know, their foot rot and all of the kind of things that need to be treated without the ability to communicate between the three of them. It's hysterical. But there is a big difference, is that at the end of the day, one of the men owns all of those sheep and the others do not. One of them has the authority to say, I don't care what you want, do it my way, because they belong to me. They're mine. I own them. They were given to me by my father who was given to them by his father who was given to them by his father. I own these sheep. They've belonged to my family for generations. They belong to me now. Christ likewise has the authority with his sheep to say, look, I'm, I'm entitled to treat them the way that I want. They belong to me because they've been given to me by my father. They're my possession a people for his own possession. And he has the right to treat them the way that he wishes. Now, the beautiful thing about that is if you look at the character of Christ, there is no better way to be treated. He is gentleness. He is kindness. He is love. He is mercy. He is justice. But he has the authority to do all of those things. Now, this is important for us when we think about our relationship with Christ, because some of us, now maybe not you, but maybe just the people sitting next to you, some of us are maybe a little sometimes prone to grumble, prone to complain about the way the shepherd treats us. Well, I just don't like this part. I just, I just don't like the way he's doing it this time. I just, I don't want to do it this way. I think he's crazy. I think God just doesn't have it right now. Again, most of us are very rarely so unsophisticated as to say it that bluntly. We say it a little bit differently, don't we? Come on, really? That's how I say it. I've said that a lot in the last month. We see what we're doing is we're questioning God's authority to take care of his sheep. Does he actually, does he have the right to do this to me? I mean, I'm an American, doggone it. I'm, I'm free. I'm from the land of the free, home of the brave. I'm not allowed to have someone be the boss of me. You're not the boss. No, actually, <laughs> he is. And because he has the authority, there are other parts that are connected to that relationship. Well, what's the next thing that happens? Well, verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, there's kind of the voice element is the one that we hone in on. And we get one part of this, but we oftentimes miss the second part. All right, we get the sheep hear his voice part. That's the part that all of us talk about, and that's good, right, and we should. True sheep hear the shepherd's voice. But because we're not thinking in terms of actual shepherding, we miss the second part of this. What's happening here, Jesus is describing, is in the morning. After all the sheep have been kept in the sheepfold, you know, the sheepfold there, and in the morning the gate is opened up, and you have to come and get your sheep out. And let's say Ryan's got his sheep in there and I've got my sheep in there and Nate's got his sheep in there and Sam's got his sheep in there. Do you really want to go through 300 sheep to figure out which ones are yours? Now, modern shepherds today, they actually dye a patch of hair right back on their shoulders to let you know who belongs to who. But before that, do you want to go through all 400 of them to figure out which one's which? 
Well, of course not. That's ridiculous. So what the shepherd would do is to walk to the front of the gate and will begin to call their sheep. And remembering that these shepherds live with their sheep and their sheep live with them, they recognize the shepherd's voice. And the second element shows up. They, what does it say? He leads them out. So from the actual sheepfold there, the shepherd comes and says, you know, I'm not going to mimic the call, but come on out, sheep, come on out, sheep, come on out, sheep. (laughs) And the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice, and they stand up and they go. And the shepherd can walk away, and the sheep follow. And it's the right sheep because it's the right shepherd because it's the right voice. You see, this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep here that Christ is illustrating has two parts to it. One is they hear his voice, but the second is they obey his voice. I mean, what good is a sheep that's like, oh yeah, that's my shepherd, I'm not doing what he says. That's not really a good sheep. I mean, historically, those are the ones that get their legs broken and then have to be carried by the shepherd so they know not to wander very far. And Christ is illustrating those elements of our relationship with him. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a sheep that is part of his flock? What does it mean to have Christ as your shepherd? Well, one is it means you need to hear his voice. To listen and to hear his voice. And for those that have been transformed by Christ, you know that moment, don't you? It may have been sudden, it may have been fairly gradual, but where you begin to realize that this book isn't just words on a page. That this book isn't just stuff written by holy men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit years ago and it never kind of came to any fruition. You know the moment where it kind of clicks in your brain and you're like, oh, he's still talking today. Oh, he, he never stopped talking <laughs> Yeah, I know these were written a long time ago, but God in his infinite wisdom has written these in such a way that they were written for the original reading audience and every reading audience afterward. So when I read it, he's speaking to me today. I get it. And those that aren't, Maybe the children in the church, maybe grew up as children in the church, but we remember those moments where it kind of came intellectually clear to us that we were actively trying to listen to his voice. Maybe we went to the scriptures to look for answers. Maybe we went to the scriptures to just find out who God is. Maybe we learned to love for the scriptures because there is where we heard our Savior speak. But that second element is so key, though, to not just know that we're hearing this shepherd's voice, but also to actively endeavor to obey it. You realize that's the kind of key distinction here between the sheep and the demons. Or if we wanted to kind of extend the metaphor, the difference between the sheep and the wolves. (laughs) Wolves still hear the voice of the shepherd. They just choose to not obey it. They would prefer to eat sheep and not become one of them. And that's an important element for us if we're going to be is a healthy sheep in the Lord's flock to as we listen to endeavor to obey. That certainly doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that it improves our standing with God legally before him. It doesn't mean that it makes us any more lovable, so to speak. It doesn't mean that it makes us um, able to save ourselves in any way. Rather, it's a a marker of, of a sheep, a good sheep. 
what's the type of sheep that you want to have? Well, one that's obedient. You think about, no, okay, this one maybe translate a little bit better. For those of you that have pets, maybe have dogs. What's the best type of dog? The best type of dog is a well-trained dog. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a huge dog fan, but the best type of dog is a well-trained dog. You know, the one that's a terror running you all over the house, you go to walk them and they just drag you on your face by the leash. It's, it's, not, it's not a good dog. For people who don't like cats, that's the thing they don't like about cats. They don't really obey well. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And she transitions into the third kind of point with that is we see the third attribute here of what this type of shepherd-sheep relationship looks like is that the shepherd leads the way for the sheep to follow. Verse 3, he leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And I saw this one on video just a couple of weeks ago. It was one of my favorites. Is Again, now shepherds today, modern shepherds, they use ATVs like four-wheelers everywhere. That's Instead of walking, their fields are too big, too many sheep. And it's a fun one of the shepherd on the ATV with his two dogs behind him sitting on you know, kind of either haunch of the ATV with his phone over his shoulder with like 600 sheep following him up you know, the English lane. You know, there's the hedge on either side and just sheep as far as you can see off into the distance. And he has to keep calling them as they walk. But they all follow him, and they're just following a guy on an ATV. It's hysterical. And then he turns off off the hedge, off the road, up through the fields, and the sheep just follow. And sometimes he sings, and sometimes he calls, and sometimes he makes that annoying high-pitched noise that I thought only mothers could make when they need to call their children from across the neighborhood. Sometimes he makes that noise, but whatever it is, and the sheep hear him, and they know him, and they follow, but he leads from the front. And again, what what a beautiful relationship Christ is illustrating here, a beautiful aspect of his relationship, is that King Jesus goes before his flock, not behind them. And for some of us, that's not particularly comforting right now, and uh, give it time and it will be. But for some of us, it is. I mean, think about those of you that have had death in the family or experienced tragic loss to know that King Jesus has already been that way. That there's, there's no path in our life that we have to tread that King Jesus has not tread first. I mean, you think about it, kind of again from the illustration I'm using, the shepherd with the, you know, traveling with the ATV, the sheep don't ever have to walk anywhere the shepherd hasn't already gone. They don't have to be afraid because they know the shepherd's already been that way. They don't have to be neurotic and uptight and kind of antsy always. They don't have to be like twitchy like some chihuahuas, you know, those are little twitchy, high-strung creatures. <laughs> They can be at peace because they know the shepherd's already gone that way. And because the shepherd's already gone that way and he's already there, I don't have to worry about what takes place between now and there because he's already gone that way. It changes the Christian's view of death. I don't have to worry about death anymore. I don't have to be afraid of it. I don't don't have to be afraid of what it feels like to pass from life into afterlife because I know Jesus has already tread that path and I'm just following the way he went. I don't even have to remain in the power of the grave. I go directly to heaven. It's even better. I don't have to be afraid of suffering today because he's already tread that path. 
Again, think about the, the bombing in Egypt, if you read the news last night or this morning. It was, I think it was two churches, if I'm not mistaken, in Egypt, right in the middle of their Palm Sunday services. Bombs went off and killed 47 wounded hundreds. And it's amazing because you're thinking that's a nation that's not exactly known for its political stability. I mean, the whole, you know, uprest for the last decades. And they've been known for harming Christians and they've been known for harming churches. And yet still the saints gather together in church. And you think, man, that's crazy. That, that level of courage is just astounding. And for them, they can go and say, look, he's already gone before. I'm just following the path Jesus took. He came, he lived here for a time. He was persecuted unfairly, unjustly, and unrighteously. And they even beat him and eventually murdered him. And if that happens to me, I'm simply following the path he's already taken. I don't have to be afraid. I mentioned it last week in Sunday school, but Fox's Book of Martyrs. You want to change your world and how you think about it. Go read Fox's Book of Martyrs and the last words of the various martyrs and what they were saying as they were suffering and as they were bleeding and as they were dying. And it's astounding as God gives them mercy. So few of those words recorded have any tinge of fear in them at all. Sorry, if I'm being tied to the stake, I'm going to be afraid. Well, I don't have to be. Christ has already tread that path. I know what happens. Is it hymn 706? Jesus lives and so shall I. Death itself is gone forever. Why do I not need to be afraid? Well, because Jesus has already done it. The shepherd has already tread that path and I don't need to worry. Now, interestingly... Jesus ends this with kind of a, I would say, an aside almost. There's a, a little bit of a, a hint of guidance for what God's people are supposed to do. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. He's gone out before them in verse 5. He kind of ends with, I, I would say here, this paragraph with a, a, a hint of how they're supposed to behave. A stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him. And they do not know, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Great kind of little side note piece of brilliance for us to think about. Well, how am I supposed to live today? How am, I, how am I supposed to conduct myself in this world? Well, one way is to work incredibly hard at not listening to the voice of strangers. Again, we've talked about our culture today loves to have this idea that, that you know, all, kind of truth is this relative thing and how you see it and how you live in it. And you can believe whatever you want to believe as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And that's just a load of hooey because that hurts other people to believe that. But that's a different story. And one of our challenges today living in our current culture, we have so much noise I think it was John Seabrook, I think, that labeled it something like cultural white noise. You remember, for those that are kind of older than just only HD televisions, like my children, but you remember how you turn it to like a channel that wasn't quite clear, and you get that static. And if you had the volume up really loud when that happened, I mean, it's like, wow, it's, it's not really anything. It's just a noise, but you melt your brain. It's just... I would say that's probably a really good illustration of what it's like to exist in American culture now. 
Or the last time you were in a really big city. You ever, you ever like, if you go to New York or London or something like that, to sit off on a street corner and just listen to the sea of noise. And to think that's what our, that, that's, that's American culture. We have the news telling us how to think. We have science telling us how to think. We have movie stars telling us how to think. I don't understand that one, but they do. We have magazines in the grocery store telling us how to think. We have marketing agencies on our cereal boxes telling us how to think. Read the back of your cereal box next time you get cereal. It's astonishing how much they're trying to teach me how to think. Voices everywhere. And it's our challenge to make sure that we're listening. And listening well, not to all of them, but to the right voice, to the good voice, to the true voice, to the voice of our Savior, Jesus. Now, this passage doesn't stop here. It continues on, but I didn't have time to tackle both of these because the next part's so rich and full that we're going to have similar themes come again. But it's important that we think about this this week and even think about how do we put this into practice. And I would encourage you to think about where are the areas where I'm not listening to the correct voices? Where are the areas in my life where I'm actually, I'm listening to the robbers and the thieves. I'm not listening to the good shepherd. Where are the areas in my life? Now, the reality of the matter, I know I love that application, but I also recognize that most of us are going to sit there and say, I don't even know. It's like the whole frog in boiling water thing. You remember the illustration where if you take a frog and drop them in hot water, they jump out because they know that it's hot. But if you slowly increase it, the frog will never jump out until it's frog stew. And you never know the difference. It's hard for us to be aware of our current time and to be aware of our current failings, which is part of why it's a really good idea as a saint to read old books. Made that point in Sunday school last week, too. If you haven't read a book, come talk to me. I can help you find an old book that's cheap and excellent to maybe just challenge a little bit of the ways in which we are adopting our culture without even realizing it. It's part of what we're studying in church history in Sunday school so that we might be able to just a little bit more clearly hear the voice of our Savior today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd and we are his sheep. Thank you that you have given us to him. He has redeemed us, is perfecting us and will present us back to you at the second coming. We give you praise for that. We do ask for your help that you would give us ears to listen. We ask that all the time, every Sunday, we ask that you would give us ears to listen. And we do pray that you would help us to listen to the right voice. Your voice is the only one worth listening to. Give us help, we pray. Also help us to see the areas where we're listening to the wrong voices, where our lives are being shaped by things other than your word, that we might be transformed for your glory. In Christ's sake, we pray. Amen.